going on? Hello, hello. Hello, Zan. How are you? I'm really good. Really good. Bit sweaty, you know. <laughs> I'm in Brisbane. Have you put the roll on under your boobs today? <laughs> no, I've always, I those always paws. forget that. I always forget that. I've just like I've got to do a, some filming after this, so I've just got lots of. The key I've found is a lot of primer. Under your makeup, you know, that the primer base that mm. you put on, and it just then all your sweat just sort of bubbles over the top. It's, not, <laughs> it's like not real. You can just dab it and it's gone. I don't know where it goes if it doesn't come out in the little bubbles because there's a lot more. I think it's just coming out through the rest of my body once you put the primer on. It just sort of <laughs> stops it. What a visual to start bang on with this week. I know. I know. How are you? You went to Taylor Swift and I was I was actually really, you know, I was really a bit sad I didn't get tickets because it looked like an amazing experience. That many people and particularly young young women, girls having their most formative concert experience oh, would have been unreal. Yeah, the vibes were high. Like the whole city was taken over. You were wandering around and I sort of went from work, which is in Southbank, to Flinders Street Station, and it was just this kind of epicentre of, of Taylor parting, but I felt like it was that throughout the whole CBD. You know, bars and cafes were blasting Taylor. There was just girls all dressed up and just in such a good vibe, and it really brought an amazing energy to it. And we talked about Taylor and the kind of, um, you know, extreme coverage of Taylor for the last few weeks and the last few years, last week mm. on Bang On. But one of the things that I think was beautiful about the experience of those three big concerts was just the positivity and that excitement of, yeah, thinking about young girls who were going to see their first gig and what a oh. first gig to go and see with 96,000 people, the energy. Like I was standing in the stalls at the MCG and they were shaking for three oh. hours and oh. I was a little bit concerned, but then I was like, you know what, yeah. I think this is structurally sound, it's fine. It's just the vibe was that high. People were singing along Pitch Perfect for three and a half hours. Um, it was amazing. And I actually saw a really cute little message. My dad emailed me. He's got um, a friend who's a train driver mm. on Melbourne PT and he posted on his Facebook, this weekend I'm working super late. This is the train driver. Yeah. This weekend is also the three-night shift of Taylor Swift at the G. Since the dawn of time, I've worked many a late shift and have been one of the many poor sods to ferry home the large number of crowds from sporting and music events. <laughs> I've been on those trains. Yeah, sorry. that can be hectic. This weekend. I've been, I've been, I've been, I've been the trouble as well. <laughs> I bet you have. Yeah. This weekend, hands down, has been one of the most enjoyable moments in my career as a public transport Aww. driver. The atmosphere surrounding the grand spectacle that is the Taylor Swift extravaganza has been wonderful. People of all all ages out purely to have a good time and without the predictable unruly behaviour that often accompanies mass events. If this weekend's social etiquette is, in, is an example of what people of today, i.e. Gen Z, think of as a normal standard, I think that Taylor Swift and the obvious joy her, her and her entourage bring so many people is the best thing that's happened to planet Earth. Aww, How cute is cute. that? And that's I love really that because cute. there's been a few people who have been a little bit cynical. We were cynical about yeah. the media coverage last year, but sorry, last week, but, the, but that pure joy, you can't poo-poo that. There's nothing bad nah. about that. Oh, and you know what's funny too? Everyone's turned around too because it's brought millions and millions into the co the economy, $2 billion into the economy. You get all the, you know, right-wing talk fest folk saying all this and, you know, they, they sort of poo-poo that stuff but then as soon as it has financial rewards for the state or the country, they're all in and it's like, oh, come on. We knew it was going to be great. 
Yeah, it's a big vibe. Sydney's got it coming this weekend, so the Taylor Swift coverage is not going to end. Sorry if you're sick of it. No, um, no. I did think, you know, every angle has been covered, every angle, every angle that yeah, you could possibly conceive of. Is there anything that's been left off? I, I just don't think so. I think we, we know what she's had for breakfast. We get footage of her going to the airport in a hat. I mean, that's exciting. Breaking. Well, you know, one yeah. thing that I wasn't expecting to see, and of course it's happened on TikTok, is that Americans <laughs> who have seen these three concerts happen at the MCG, which I think most people know where it is. It's pretty much right in the sort of middle of the city, kind of in the eastern part of the city. They are freaking out that this giant stadium that holds for Taylor 96,000 people isn't surrounded by car parks, and then there's deep dives into if there was a car park, how big would it be? They can't get their head around the fact that a major stadium doesn't have a massive car park around (laughs) it. And this is the kind of angle that I like people exploring on TikTok. They're obsessed. Well, in America it is huge, and and they have what's known as um, the car park parties oh, The beforehand. tailgating parties, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because there's that classic documentary from the 80s of, it's called Heavy Metal Parking Lot. If you ever get a chance to see it, it's so good. It's from 1986 and it's around the car park of the Judas Priest concert. Mm. And um, there's that whole culture is where they get riled up before the gig and, and you know, everybody sort of sees everybody else. And it's it's a big thing, whereas we don't have that here. We just go to the venue and have a nasty time. Or stand outside the venue in the park that surrounds yes. it and have a little sing-along yes. as many people did. Aww. Apparently gate four was the best place where you could hear it if you were outside. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, God, I've late, spent too much time online intel. this week. You have, you have. Bit late with that intel, though. <laughs> Might be good for the next gig. What else is going on at the MCG? <laughs> Nice work if you can get it. Yeah, I don't know when we're going to see another concert at the MCG. You might just be listening into the football very, very yeah. soon. Um, speaking of megastars. This ain't Texas. Ain't no holding. Hey, lay our cars down, 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 down. I've got breaking Bay news for you, Miff. Beyonce has become the first black woman in history to debut at number one on the Billboard country charts. Oh, fabulous news. Yeehaw! Yep, it's working. It's absolutely working after what we spoke about last week and Beyonce's foray into country. No surprises because she did grow up in Texas and, uh, yeah, so good on her. Congratulations, Beyonce. I'm sure she's appreciating our um, our, our congrats here from Australia. <laughs> Obviously Beyonce's bang fan. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I love uh, I love all the Bang fan that actually have emailed us this week. Beyonce didn't get back to us regarding our conversation, but I'm sure she will. But heaps of people getting in the um, in the Bang box about our thoughts about why the hell Dan Aykroyd was mm. at the recording of We Are the World. You watched that great what was it called? The Greatest Night in Pop. That's on Netflix. The documentary oh, about the making of We Are the World. So good, such a great documentary. And, and I think I failed to mention too how wonderful Lionel Richie is in the whole thing. Like, why is he not running for presidency in the US? He is just, he he did the American Music Awards on the same day, he performed heaps, and he basically ran that session with Quincy Jones. And he was just the vibes guy. It was great. He had everyone in his pocket. He was wonderful. So um, I just think more Lionel Richie in life, please. But, yes, Dan Aykroyd was there and I questioned uh, as to why he was there and so many people got back to us saying, well, I got one from a guy called Scotty in Melbourne who said uh, apparently he had low-key links to music for decades as a blues singer slash musician, radio presenter and, of course, 
the one role that is still my favourite awkward role, Elwood Blues in the Blues Brothers. Yes. So um, Scotty's written, he, he's obviously loved music and being around it for his whole life, so I'm not surprised he would pop up in the background of We Are The World, invited or not. <laughs> My favourite reminder of Dan Aykroyd's talents, though, came from someone else who um, reminded us of his tuba playing in My Girl. Do you remember this? No. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Can you imagine him at, like, 2am as they're recording We Are The World and he's like, hey, guys, what about a tuba solo? Is <laughs> Al Jarreau's having another bottle of wine. <laughs> Everyone starts crying. <laughs> Diana Ross doesn't want to leave. Makes me want to watch the Blues Brothers and My Girl this weekend. Oh, it does. How does the tuba? Oh, there he goes. Wild about me. <laughs> oh dear. Excuse me, Harry. Oh my God, <laughs> he can't sing. All right, consider ourselves corrected. We love that yeah, about thanks, the everyone. Bank Fam. You're always shouting um, back at us, letting us know what's up, asking us things, explaining things to us because we clearly need a lot of information in our lives. Mm. Um, speaking of which, this weekend we're kicking off Bang On Live. And we'd love to hear you ask us about hot takes, like what you want to hear on stage. We're going to be doing a an unprepared <laughs> RIP us um, yeah. foray into hot takes on stage. Yeah, just at Bang basically, on Live. you tell yeah, you just tell us what you want us to talk about. So if you wanted to hear our amazing views, because of course they are always <laughs> amazing on something we probably know nothing about, then yeah, just come up with a one line and go. Look, we want to hear. Here about today, um, you know, it might even be because we're at the, as part of the Fringe Festival, it might be our views on Fringe Festivals. It might be our views on the mob wife look. Uh, Oh, you've got thoughts. Yeah, I've got thoughts. I've already purchased some clothing as I showed you yesterday. We'll get to that later. Uh, Yeah, we will. (laughs) Um, You know, it could be all sorts of things. The return of big hair. I mean, I would like that if you asked that question. I would have lots to say about that. Um, Yeah, stuff like that. Carrot man in Melbourne. What are your thoughts? What are your thoughts? (laughs) It's very niche. But you know what? We're up for it. So We're up for Adelaide niche. Malls balls. Thoughts? Mall, oh, I've got thoughts about malls balls mm. and the pig. There's just so much to dive into. We're going to be doing this at every Bang On Live too. So there'll be a glass jar at the front as you walk in. There'll be little pieces of paper and pencils. If you've got a hot take that you want to hear our hot take on, then scribble yeah. it down and we will share that with you. <laughs> and if we haven't mentioned this yet, but we've got merch. We've got merch. We've got That's merch. right. How good. We've got a bank shop. I know. Oh my are god! My running, whole childhood, the... my whole childhood, I was playing shops, and now I get to really play shops. You get to really play shops, and what we'll do is we'll sign um, items from our shops. Um, if you want, geek, if you want, we don't have to. You can just have it and not have our texture on it, because I probably wouldn't want wouldn't want to scribble on it. But if you want our scribble, we're there. We've we're been, there for you. It's they're very it's very cute merch. We've been designing different kinds of merch. Um, there's a few of them that are going to be at the Adelaide shows, and a few more that are going to come. But just so you know, get ready for tote bags, tour posters, beautiful tour art, yeah. and. My favourite piece of merch that I always buy whenever I go to a show, bang on tea towels. Oh, I'm very excited for this. I'm pretty excited too. Because tea towels you can, you, like, I know I've got a couple of special tea towels that you frame if you like them. I've got um, a framed tea towel or two as well. 
Yeah, I've got a d- couple of David Trigley uh, framed tea towels very that nice. I'm very much a fan of, limited edition. Excuse um, me. I know, but they're tea towels, so they weren't that expensive. <laughs> but they still look great. I framed one of my tea towels um, oh, that I got from Meredith Music Festival. It was a beautiful illustration of the hill oh. as you're looking down towards the amphitheatre, just perfectly captured. But I forgot to iron it before I took it to the framer, so now it's got it <laughs> creased down the What was I thinking? And why didn't they ask about that? Well, why didn't they give it a steam before they put it in the frame? Give it a steam. That seems a little bit odd, doesn't it? Well, at least you hadn't done your knives and forks with it before you popped it in. (laughs) Just a soiled tea towel framed. (laughs) It's art, baby. It's art. So they're all going to be on sale this weekend and at every Bang On Live show. And we'll be sticking around after the show to say good day, sign it if you want, and... Reunite with our Bang Fam this weekend oh. and lots of weekends all the way through to July. We cannot wait. Yeah, and that's the thing. It, reuniting is is the thing. It's been a hard couple of years and this is the first time we've been able to do this since all those hard couple of years and I think it'll just be lovely to see everyone finally. We haven't done a Bang On Live since 2019, Miff. I love no. how you say a couple of years because every time I think pre-pandemic, I think, yeah, two years, but it's been four years. Five, four years. My God. There'll be a lot of love in the room. That's later on this weekend. Plenty to talk about this week. Have you been keeping up with the whole Madam Web, Sony, Spider-Man film franchise and Dakota Johnson story over yeah. the last week or so? Not so much, although I've seen some, you know, odd interviews with Dakota Johnson, like she was on Graham Norton the other week and she's, she's quite reserved and says things in, in you know, she, she doesn't seem overly enthusiastic, but it seems... As if her her manner and her way of speaking in celebrity interviews has been taken the wrong way, particularly for this film, because she said something about the making of the movie that's just been completely blown out of proportion and flipped to the point that it's lost its original meaning. And I think it was the, along the lines of working in front of a blue screen, she was talking about Madame Webb, and she said, I've never really done a movie where you're on a blue screen and there's fake explosions going off and someone's going, explosion, and you act like there's an explosion. That to me was absolutely psychotic. I was like, I don't know if this is going to be good at all. I hope that I did an okay job. Um, then she went on to say, but I trusted the director. She worked so hard and she's not taken her eyes off this movie since we started. But what's happened since then is that they've taken off the end bit and they've made it sound like she doesn't like the movie, mm. which seems really odd. Well, and, it, it's it's clickbait, isn't it? Which is yeah. how the world operates, which is how journalism and entertainment journalism, as well as political journalism, all of it, recontextualised, cut up, reordered and turned into clickbait and these massive binaries of love or hate, good or bad, mm. um, acclaimed or shithouse, you know, it's... It's rampant through media at the moment and rampant through film criticism as well and the kind of stories around its making too, I find. Absolutely. And I think too this is also fueled by the fact that she is, Madam Webb is one of those, um, what do you call them, those movie franchises? Universes. Um, uni- yeah, one Although of it's a little universe, the Sony Spider-Man universe, because they've just it? got that little part. So I spoke to my friend in the office, Al, who's a nerd, mm. um, and I loved his information on this because I didn't know where it all sat. You've got the DC and the Marvel universe, and you've got Sony who've made the Spider-Man films, right? And before the DC and Marvel universe all took off and started making huge franchises where they make, what, four films a year or whatever, they're just nuts. 
Sony carved out a spot for it and were able to buy the rights to be able to make a Spider-Man film because Spider-Man mm. is part of the Marvel Universe, I believe, oh. but they use the rights to just make Spider-Man films. And so that's why there's three Spider-Man films, but then also these offshoots like Venom and like Madam Web that are part of that Spider-Man universe, but they have to keep making these films just so they almost like keep the rights. So if they don't make a film every three or four years, then they relinquish the rights because it's like, what are you doing with them? And then they'll go back into the Marvel universe. So that's why these films are made. But the confusion around that, I think, has been again twisted in that people have sort of said she didn't know she was not making a Marvel film because she tagged Marvel, even though it is part <laughs> of the... And just that idea of like that a, someone who's literally grown up in the industry, that is the daughter of two very experienced actors and a very experienced actor herself wouldn't and her, the people around her wouldn't read a friggin' contract yeah. and, <laughs> and know that it wasn't about, a Marvel film. And wouldn't have a clue about the, the whole world that surrounds it. I, I think half the problem is here. She's not a huge fan of it and I totally get that because I fell asleep when you were explaining um, all of that Marvel and, and stuff because it's just like it's kind of meaningless to me. But she obviously wants to have a role where, you know, it's it's a woman taking over a character in that universe and, and it's, a, it's an empowered and empowering thing for an actor to do. But she doesn't necessarily know the world. And I think what is happening here is that there's a lot of people with a lot of time on their hands that love these worlds and they're really looking, you know, they're really nitpicking here to make it look like she didn't deserve this. I reckon it's something larger though and there's a great piece that I am going to put in the show notes written by Richard Newby who's a journalist with The Hollywood Reporter. Hollywood Reporter is an industry rag so it's very much pitched to an industry audience but he basically unpacked all the bullshit around... Madam Webb, but also this kind of discourse around film that we find mm. ourselves in. And we saw the exact same thing with Don't Worry Darling, remember? And yes. we were part of it. We were part of that conversation. All of the gossip around how the film was made, who hated who, the spitting incident. The, it all became bigger the than the film. The, sa- the, the salad <laughs> the dressing. The salad dressing. All of it. And it's, it's you know, it's... It's visceral, it's clickbait, it's exciting, it's gossip basically, but it becomes bigger than the film itself. And I'm not saying that Don't Worry Darling or Madam Web were great films that were destroyed by this, but they can be bad films that have nothing to do with the behaviour around their making. Yeah. Like, you know, actors who dislike each other can still make good films and also actors that like each other can make bad films. They should be separate and this kind of discourse around the making of films that become bigger than the narrative of the film itself then takes away from actually the work of properly reviewing. When you think Mm. about a great film review, which is, you would hope, nuanced, takes in all the elements of the film, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be the best thing you've ever seen or the worst thing you've ever seen. There can be a middle ground. We just keep on going further and further away from that because of these binaries, because of this reactive media that we have and because this need Mm. to make big headlines Mm. around loving or hating something. But what is lost is the nuance. And it's a real shame, I think, for criticism and for culture to just be constantly just batting around these reactive uh, Mm. moments in in media. And I feel like this piece that Richard Newby wrote for The Hollywood Reporter really nailed it. It just really resonated with me. Yeah, it's basically saying have a think, be smart, otherwise shush. <laughs> can, I, I, it, <laughs> can I say something else about, because, again, I don't know shit about the Spider-Man universe. Nah. But Al, bless you, Al, told me, Madam Web in the comic books, do you know what Madam Web is? And this is the character that play, is played by Dakota Johnson. No. She's a 96-year-old blind psychic. Oh, well, she looks, Dakota looks exactly <laughs> like that. 
Perfectly cast, I would say. Goodness me. <laughs> no way. Helen Mirren for the next Madam Web. <laughs> wow. How that's good is that? amazing. She's that's not 96, great. though, is she? No. Now, why did you send me something about lawnmowers this week? I'm not complaining, but I am confused. Yeah, well, this was pretty cute, actually, because we talk about things online and things that go viral all the time. And, viral? Um, viral. And it, as we've always said, it's something you can't create. It's something you can't predict. Things will happen that, you know, no one sitting in a big boss chair, a head of marketing department will be able to predict. And probably no one would ever have predicted that uh, a bunch of lawnmowers are the ones that are raking it in apparently on social media at the moment. Tim so Parker. people who lawn mow, lawn, well, lawn mows, mow lawns. Mow lawns. Sorry, people my brain just lawns. did a fart. That's all right. <laughs> people who mow lawns are basically raking it in. Our fellow Tim Parker. Did you is... mean to say raking it in? I'm sorry. Was that? Boom tish. Yeah, no, I didn't actually. Thank you. Thank you for <laughs> noticing though. I, I didn't even. Anyway, he's a Sydney firefighter and um, apparently he does, um, he thought, he'd come up with this idea of doing free mow Fridays, which is basically finding a lawn in need of some care and then knocking on the door and asking if he could mow it, film the process for free. Um, And apparently this has gone totally off. He gets paid for it now. And people love watching, not just, you know, quite often people who haven't mowed their lawns, there's, there's reasons for that. They might be a bit vulnerable. They might have struggles, might not be able to do it themselves, might be elderly, all of that. But also it's really, really calming to watch something being cleared on that time-lapse camera. Oh, my God. It's like the high-pressure hoses on the Dirty yes. Rugs videos. You could watch them it's for days. so good. So it's got all the elements. But who would have thought lawnmowers would be the ones who are just going to take off on social media? I I'm here for it. it. I'm absolutely here for it. I, there's something very satisfying about seeing a big... Um, lawn that's been, you know, the blades have been cut fresh. You can almost smell it, although everyone mm. with hay fever now is saying, no, don't say that. Yeah, scratching their eyes going, stop it. Hey, on that, um, you know, people who can't necessarily take care of their own garden, fun fact, little side bang here. <laughs> you know Louis McCurdy, beautiful, brilliant Louis McCurdy, who used to do Triple J lunch and is yeah. one of the strangest and most wonderful people that you've ever heard on the radio. Yeah. So after he left, left Triple J, he went off on a little trip to London and lived there for a while. He had a bunch of weird jobs. You'll appreciate this. One of them, he was a driver for a cat ambulance. The I other one, that. he was a gardener uh, for elderly people who couldn't take care of their own gardens. And it was a charity that was run and he would go around and tend to people's gardens Aww. who um, for charity, for free, uh, for who couldn't take care of them themselves. And he had all these, you know, you can imagine Louis just chatting to some oh, el- elderly Londoners about their life story. He'd just be <laughs> he the best. Love to. That's great. It exists. I love that. Garden- and gardening is so good for you. I wish I had that bug. But you can get it, you know. Yeah, I don't know. I think think you've either got it or you don't, don't you? I know you got it. Oh, I got it bad. Yeah, but you did you have to develop it? I've never been so pumped for the return of Gardening Australia. (laughs) Friday nights, best night of the week. My parents and mum in particular have always been very keen gardeners. And I think that living in an apartment for 15 years and then having a place where I could have a little yard um, finally has been amazing. So, but I reckon you don't underestimate yourself, Miff. You're never like, I've, I feel like your, your gardening, your green thumb could grow. It could. It could. I've had plenty of opportunities though. And I think because I did grow up on big properties, I just find the whole thing 
really overwhelming. Overwhelming, totally. Yeah. <laughs> That's why you like the lawn mowing things. You're like, everything's taken care of. Get the ride on and it's out all there. neat and done and someone else is doing it. Speaking of um, gardening, is the bush back? Oh. <laughs> it's a terrible segue. Oh, I loved it, though. I loved it. Apparently, yes, um, you know, for the 75th time in the last 20 years, apparently pubic hair is back. And it was brought up. We spoke about it last week. The Merkin, uh, John Galliano. Yeah, I said it was at New York Fashion Week, but it's not. I think New York Fashion Week might be even on now. Um, but John Galliano for the latest collection for Maison Margiela. I don't even know if I said that correctly. It doesn't <laughs> matter. It's uh, haute couture. Uh, apparently there were corseted models that were made up to look like porcelain dolls. So the makeup in itself was quite extraordinary if you get a chance to have a look. Mm. But they also wore sort of sheer black skirts with... Luxurious merkins sewn in <laughs> to their sheer black skirts. Oh, so they weren't like gaffered onto their actual no. Mons Venus. They were sewn into the skirt. Yeah. Hovering so above the Mons. Threaded through silk tulle is how it's been What a fancy explained. boosh. It is a fancy boosh. <laughs> it's a very fancy boosh. <laughs> High fashion boosh. Oh, my God. But it says so many things, doesn't it, about where we are at culturally? Because I think I've heard, oh, you know, hair's back, all of that kind of thing. And apparently there was a, a you know an article in a recent, recent big newspaper in the UK that had a woman with underarm hair, whoop-de-doo, it grows there. Um, <laughs> but the thing is it still talks to the fact that we're still really uncomfortable with women and their hair. And apparently we are the most hairless we've ever been in history at this point in time, even though we're supposedly evolved, feminist, all of those things. And, um, yeah, there's a, there's a great article in The Guardian that I found that's all about it from Eva Wiseman, and I love her stuff. She writes some really funny stuff sometimes. But, mm. but this really brought up all of those points of where we're at with this whole hair discourse. And, and, and uh, she sort of was implying that Galliano is discussing the fact that we're still uncomfortable with those conversations, even at this point. But I'm not too sure what it's really saying anymore when it comes to hair discourse. I'm a bit lost. I mean, what, I mean, what are people, where are we at with hair? Where do you think we're at? It's, I mean, even me, I go, I've got a film today and I haven't shaved my legs. I'm like, oh, that's bad. But then I'm like, who cares? Yeah, that's still like the front of mind for me. It's like, how do I get myself ready for certain things? Shave yeah. the legs, put a little bit of fake tan on so I don't look actually deceased when I go out because I'm and so in... white, I'm a little bit blue. All the <laughs> things that you take care of. And the fact that this, again, like you say, 75 million times, the bush is back. The fact yeah. that every time this comes up, it is news, means that we're not at that point where hair doesn't on women doesn't matter because it always is news. That's the whole point. Mm. Why does it have to be news? The day that it's not news will mean that it actually is back and we don't care about it. The day that yeah. we're not talking about it will be when it's finally back. Yeah. Um, she's she's written a great sort of conclusion to this article by saying perhaps this excitement could lead in baby steps towards a more sane acknowledgement and acceptance of our real bodies. Or maybe we will rest here for another hundred years where the light brown wig expresses the empowerment we crave while covering thoughts of our own alienation from our bodies and the reality of our many shames. It's yeah, it's it's a really interesting piece, and uh, yeah, it, I, I, it left me a little confused as to where we're at or if it will ever, in fact, change. It is a really great piece. Thank you for sending it to me. I'll put that in the what? show notes. I just kept thinking the whole time, why do we have to get rid of our hair? Why do like it costs a fortune? It takes heaps of time. What happened? Like, 
to us where we went, that's okay, guys, you can just be as hairy as you want. Because it hasn't always been the case. No. Although there is a large portion of Renaissance paintings where it seems like lasering was in, they just don't no, paint the bouche. They just didn't paint it because it was deemed too offensive. <laughs> so there you go. But having it just a completely nude <laughs> woman is yeah. fine. But bouche, no. No, not the bush. Hey, a lot of hair talk this week. You sort of forecasted earlier the big hair, um, which kind of goes hand in hand with mob wife aesthetic. And you told me you're a little bit sweaty at the start of Bang On today. Did mm. you buy a fake fur jacket this week, Miff, and I are did. currently living in Brisbane? Uh, yeah, I thought, where is the best place to buy a <laughs> fake fur coat that is going to be tapping into that mob wife aesthetic? Uh, where can I get that? And it's a vintage one as well. I thought Queensland, of course, the place where furs are really, really necessary. I actually had a really beautiful exchange with someone. I've ne- I haven't been on Facebook Marketplace in years. It's like I dreamt this up. I looked two days ago and there it was. There was my jacket. And and I thought I'll, I'll go out and I'll pick it up. And, um, and it was near where I take the dog to the beach here. So that was convenient. And it was lovely because the woman I bought it from was from Adelaide. So, of course, she's come to Queensland and gone, I'm not wearing this. And it was her grandmother's and it's in perfect condition. Oh, wow. And I'm like, I've just found gold in Queensland. <laughs> for will something you, will you ever wear it in Queensland? I will never wear it in Queensland. <laughs> <laughs> but you've got the mob wife aesthetic now. Like you've got that, the whole look. That's right. And if we saw Miley Cyrus a couple of weeks ago at the Grammy, she had massive hair. Mm. We talked about the use of the Taft hairspray and and how that's going to be just rolling off the shelves. Uh, It seems that it's not just that. Uh, The Marc Jacobs show with the big bouffant hairstyles. Big hair is absolutely 100% back and this I love. And I learnt that I've been saying something wrong or at least me and Dolly Parton have because she's always said, the higher the hair, the closer to God. Mm. And I thought that was the same. But I read another one today. The higher the hair, the closer to heaven. So tease it to Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> How good's that? you got to say it with a southern accent, though. I so can't. tease it to Jesus. Tease it to Jesus. Yeah, no, it's. I thought that's great. I haven't actually heard that version or variation of that particular term. But, yeah, just go for it. Hair dryer, blow dryer, upside down, hairspray at the roots. That's how you start it. And then, as the saying says, tease it to Jesus. Much like pubes, hair as well on the top of our head can be a statement, right? There's another piece that you sent me from The Guardian too about this kind of the idea of big hair being free and and rebellious and particularly Mm. coming off the back of trends over the last few years, which are, you know, the so-called clean girl aesthetic that is quiet luxury, natural makeup. And the mob wife thing is a total reaction to that. Like everything, it's a pendulum that swings with fashion and and everything that we do. But also thinking about how hair has been used as a form of protest, like they talk about in the 60s, Loretta Lynn and Tammy Wynette, Mm. you know, trying to get their break on the Johnny Cash show and then trying to find their space and literally inhabiting a larger physical space with their hair. You know, 60s girl groups like the Ronettes, which then Amy Amy Winehouse would model herself and her hairstyle on that because it empowered her. And, you know, there's a whole other, there's documentaries and PhDs and films written about natural hair for women of colour and the empowerment of that and Mm. the shape of that and the size of that. It's a whole other world. So I kind of love that big hair is coming back and I'm more than happy for it to be um, funneling through a political gaze and a powerful and empowerment gaze as well. I think it's great. 
we're taking up space. We're taking up space again is what it is. We're not, we're not sort of fading into the background in our neutrals and our softness. We're taking up space. And I've got and about four cans of um, Taft in my yeah. cupboard if you ever need any. <laughs> <laughs> Bit of Seadell. Elnet. Elnet. Some great brands that need to come back and they stink and they probably, you know, lacquer your throat. And don't, don't light a match near us at any Pang no, on Lives. No, exactly. <laughs> I'm going to try. I'll try and do a bit of big hair on the weekend. Well, you've got the best hair in the biz, as I constantly say. You've got to, you've got to go in the full Priscilla in 2024, I reckon. Really move yeah. into it. You've got, the, you've got the fancy big mob wife jacket. Go the big hair as well. Absolutely. Well, there was one There was one thing we didn't mention that the big hair also was useful for and I... And I and, and um, Amy Winehouse, a, a wonderful character, very humorous. She used to say um, that she used to import certain things in her beehive as well through airports. So there you go. <laughs> it's an extra handbag for some. Amazing. Hey, speaking of fashion, should we talk about the BAFTAs? I don't know what's wrong with me when I say fashion. Bafters. 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 It's, it's fun. It's fun. God, the award season never ends, does it? We've still got oh, the uh, Academy Awards to come in early March. I know. I'm exhausted already. And I can't, still can't tell who half of these people are, which is great. <laughs> I'm lost. I'm completely lost with some of them, but that's fine. That's fine. It just shows I'm getting more and more out of touch. But um, I'm trying my best. If I'm out of touch, though, I, I can't imagine what the regular person is like these days. There's too many people. Too many people in the world, Miff. Too many people, too many famous people and too many too many things happening and I can't get my head around it all. But I do enjoy looking at their dresses and oh, their suits. They look divine. Um, some amazing outfits for the Bafters. I uh, had a couple of highlights. I'm trying to find them now. Where is it? There was a gentleman in, in a fabulous sort of almost bolero jacket and some high pants, uh, Coleman Domingo, who mm, I think was... He looked amazing. One of, best on ground, really. Um, that was a fabulous outfit and stood out from all the men who are still kind of... I don't know, just a bit boring, to be honest. Like Prince William. Yeah, like, you know, put on a velvet jacket. Well done, mate. <laughs> you can do better. You've got money. You've got one of those stupid fucking crowns <laughs> sitting back there in the Tower of London. Get that out for the night. Like, what's the fucking point of you if you don't put that shit on? Seriously. Come on, we're done. There's no point to royalty at this point, so just pull out the crowns. I wasn't expecting that up. No, I wasn't either. I don't even know where that came from. It's angry. Andrew Scott also looked beautiful. <laughs> We're talking about the men. Beautiful deep red suit. He's, of course, the hot priest uh, starred in All of Us Strangers. I loved his suit. Gorgeous, like shiny lapels, but just such a gorgeous mm. colour red. You know what I noticed a lot? And I don't, I'm certainly not a trend spotter, much less a trendsetter, but there was heaps of panels in outfits. So Emma Stone had a peach dress with one puffy sleeve, but the top mm. was kind of a different panel to the more chiffon skirt. Margot mm. Robbie continuing the Barbie theme. She had pink and black, but the pink was one big panel down the middle. Florence Pugh had a panel kind of corset cut over a black skirt. Um, Divine Joe Randolph from The Holdovers, who's been winning a lot of awards, had a big peach ruched panel over the <sighs> dress. 
Panels are big. I don't really like the look of panels, but they seem to be a real trend, and that's why I worry. Because I'm like, is this going to be everywhere as it trickles down to fast fashion? And we'll be wearing it next year. And we'll be wearing it next year, and we'll be convinced <laughs> by then that it's a great look. But panels are just everywhere. It's so so interesting. Like yeah. real diversity of dresses, but I kept on seeing panels in so many of them. Panels, yeah. I don't know what. I have no idea what that says about us at this moment, other than we like a bit of scaffolding around <laughs> us. Did you see Emma Corrin? Fuck, speaking of scaffolding. Oh, wow. scaffolding, okay. yes. So she had a cropped black top, blue tights that we would have worn in the 90s with the black netball bloomers over the top, pulled over the top of the tights, mm. and then a sheer skirt over that with then, if that ain't enough going on, big two big blue satin bows on either side of her hips. Bows or pockets? I'm not sure. Oh, maybe they were pockets. Well, I don't think they're sewn up, but they could have been pockets. Big you could have flappy put a few things. things in there. Big flaps. Um, there's a lot of ideas and millinery as well. And just it might have been a very small fascinator or just a bit of black hair net over the top. There's, there's a lot of ideas in that outfit, wasn't there? There's a lot of ideas <laughs> and all power to it. And also um, had abs. On show as well, which is another element to the outfit, which I think is very, very admirable. Get it. Put it all on, I say. Admirable. said, take take one off, Uh, one thing off. She's just said, (laughs) I'm putting it all on. And, yeah, go for it. Or you could just dress like you'd come out of the bathroom immediately, like Sandra Huller did, who is the amazing star of Anatomy of a Fall, which you have, if you haven't seen yet, go see that. Um, Her top of her dress, she's a German actor, won the Palm d'Or last year. Shower curtain pulled all the way to one side. That was the look of her dress top. It was just like scrunched panel and then again a skirt. Oh, <laughs> do you remember that one? Hang on. Yeah, I'd forgotten. I've lost it and I'm scrolling down trying to have a look. But yes, I remember that. That was amazing. Just, I oh, look, it's functional, really. It just feels like anything goes with fashion at the moment. You know how some years it's like everyone's wearing white? It feels like everyone's doing whatever the fuck they want this year. Which I kind of like. I'm I'm into it too. I think it's good. Um, I I support this and endorse this because, yeah, I think for a long time it was all people were just too concerned about getting it wrong and, you know, I'm guilty of that too. We're all guilty of that. But these days everyone's just like whatevs. Give it a burl. I say anyone who can do six awards ceremonies and have to curate a look for each of them, well done. It must be exhausting. I hate just doing one thing. Well, we're going to dress up on the weekend, aren't we? We are going to dress up. We're going to get all bedazzled. Yeah, so if if you're coming along to to either of the gigs in Adelaide, dress up. If you've got something you've wanted to wear for a long time and thought, I'm not sure I can get away with this, get away with it. You'll be among friends, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Bang fam, turn up. It's going to be very, very fun. Saturday is sold out, by the way, if you haven't caught on with that news. So there's just a few tickets left for Sunday at the beautiful Spiegel tent in the Garden of Unearthly Delights for Adelaide Fringe. Woo-hoo. Hey, speaking of fashion, mm. what are you banging on about this week? Well, I watched something last night, just the first episode, because I'd heard about it. Um, uh, I was listening to a podcast and the magnificent Juliette Binoche is in this one. And is that, did, you say that? did I say that correctly? Binoche? Yeah, I think so. Binoche. Juliette Binoche and Ben Mendelsohn are in it. And it is, of course, a tale of French couture. Juliette is playing Coco Chanel and Ben Mendelsohn is playing Christian Dior. And it's set post-war in France and it's about the, uh, uh, the, the rivalry between the two fashion houses and the, the two individuals themselves and all tied up in the occupation in France by the Germans slash the Nazis and the effect that that had on creativity and uh, 
beliefs, all of those things at the time. So one episode in, it's it's good, but it feels sort of so heavy with that tie-in with the war. It seems, you know, a battle between two people who make beautiful things just seems a little bit trivial mm. in the midst <laughs> of what is actually going on, which is uh, horrific. Genocide. And Exactly. So I, I, I'm, I'm sitting quite uncomfortably with the first episode, even though I'm enjoying the story, and that's a weird feeling. Um, but I'll, I'll keep going. But you've been watching it as well, haven't you? Well, this is going to shock you because I watched the second episode last night. And you know how when I start watching something, I just keep going. I'm a completist. Yes. I don't think, I don't think I, you've ever dropped anything. I think this is going to be me dropping something. <gasps> I can't do it, Miff. It's so strange. Like... Everything that you've said there is spot on. It's just, I mean, they, it's it's very simplistic. It's really grandiose and simplistic at the same time. But it almost treats the Second World War as an inconvenience to fashion. Mm. So strange. And I love Juliette Binoche and I love Mendo. And that's not the only, like, they've got big stars in it. Maisie Williams, who plays Arya yep. Stark from Game of Thrones. She plays... Um, Christian Dior's sister. John Malkovich is in there. You've got all the big you know, fashion names, Dior, Chanel, Balenciaga, Balmain, you know, it's... Oh, I loved how you said that. that Balma- well, I finally Balma- learned how to say Balma- it because I was Balma- watching yeah. a weird fashion inspired by true events. <laughs> That's a very key thing to read here, inspired yes. by true events story. And I finally have learned, that's the only thing I took away from it, how to pronounce Balmain. Yeah. Sorry, Balmain. Just drop the end completely off. Is it Bama or Balenciaga who was being really like just wouldn't make anything for the the wives of the German? Oh, soul. I can't remember now. It was one or the other, but I, I love that. It's just like, no, I'm just making them tunics. And I'm like, you still are. Yeah, you're still doing it. <laughs> but it's, yeah, it is a really, it's a strange offering, I think, this this series because um, it it's terribly scripted as well, which doesn't help it, but it's like, you know, when we, we talk about fashion a lot, right, fashion can reflect the culture, it can reflect the world, it can also be beautiful escapism. Mm. This is a series that is should never be considered escapism given the context in which these stories are taking place. But also it really doesn't know what it wants to be, but no. it's doing all of the attempts of what it wants to be really badly. Um, and I just feel sad for everyone involved. Also, John Malkovich, some of the worst accent work of his career. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> so bad. Oh, good on him. He's having a go. French is hard. It was a bit of an anti-bang, wasn't it? But, yeah, really weird for me. I was kind of like, I was going to watch the third episode last night and I was like, you know what, I think I'm just going to go to bed at 8.30 instead. Okay, that's interesting because I was going to watch the second episode tonight if I could and then I'll, I'll we'll get back to you. Yeah, no, I'm keen to see where it goes but I think that time is of the essence for me right now and I just don't want to go in there. I, I just it, it feels, it sits very badly new, with me, this new series. New for you, Zan. This is great. Oh, wait we'll see till how you, we wait go. Wait till you start ignoring everything. <laughs> And then forgetting you've even seen one episode of it. We have forecast that 2024 is going to be the year of CBF. Yeah. So here we go. This is where it Starts begins. Starts now. What are you banging on about? Well, you know what? The opposite of CBF because I just finished a more than 600-page novel called oh, okay. well done. The Bee Sting. It is a very big novel. I think it was shortlisted for the Booker Prize from an Irish writer by the name of Paul Murray. And the idea, the story behind this is around a family in Ireland called the Barnes family. They're in trouble. Um, Dickie, who's the father, has got a car dealership that's going under. His wife, who's very concerned with being well-loved and well-known in the community, is sort of selling off her jewellery, thinking about social status. She's got a whole story where she came from a pretty awful childhood 
teenage daughter seems to be veering off the rails and you know, a bit mysterious and curious about what she's thinking and what she's doing and where her intent is in life. And then the little brother PJ is kind of falling into a very dark black hole of the internet. And this is where it's set up. And much like Jonathan Franzen's Crossroads, it goes through each chapter. That's what it reminded me of. It kind of every chapter is told from a different perspective. And so you have that great cliffhanger because something big happens but then you're at the end of Dickie's chapter and now you're going to Imelda or Cass or PJ and you're like oh god what's going to happen next but you're also expanding your knowledge of who these characters are all the secrets they hold all the history they hold and it's unraveling and unpacking and coming towards faster and faster this sort of funnel point that gets narrower and narrower towards the end where in the very last pages it's going between the perspectives very quickly And I won't give any spoilers, but I will say this. I've read the last three pages six times. Oh, my goodness. I've Googled what is going on with the end of the bee sting and I'm still figuring it out. And it is a great, great read. So if you've – it's a real page turner. If you've got some time, I feel like you can always find the time. It'll be watching one series of The New Look. If you choose to do The Beasting instead, <laughs> there's an option for you. But it's really great. So if you've seen people pop it up, because a lot of people were reading it yeah. over summer as well, I really loved it. And, yeah, if you re- if you loved Crossroads and Friends and kind of style in that, then I think you'll oh, really like this too. It's on the list. I'll get that done. That's great. It's also like I find that I read, I reckon, 90% female authors. So I was just trying to throw a dude a bone here and read a male author for <laughs> change. And it's really good. Come on. Here you go. Here you go. <laughs> You know you want it. You did good, Paul Murray. You did good. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's great. Anyway, All right, I'm looking ready? forward oh. to I'm hearing more stories about the, the new look anyway, but maybe we can catch up with that over the weekend if you yeah. get any more episodes under your belt before Bang On Live in Adelaide. Oh, and if you're thinking of maybe coming along and you, you, you got a bit of CBF, which I totally understand, I just want to let you know I have made something for our fashion bit in the end oh that I God. just think. You've had a crafternoon. Let's just say everyone that. Need, everyone needs to see. Um <laughs> And someone will get to wear. It's amazing. But you're never taking them home because I'm never making these again. They're a (laughs) one-off. They're an absolute one-off. Okay. Oh, they're a one-off, that's for sure. No more clues. You remember when Wu-Tang made that one album and they sold it for $30,000 or $30 million or whatever? (laughs) This is like that. Yes. Yes. All right. Just shit her. <laughs> I'll, I'll see you in the Spiegel tent this weekend, babes. Yay! See you soon. Bye. Bang. 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 Bang.